uh, Ordinary Day is where we're going today. I'm Jared, by the way. He's, he said my name, but I'm Jared. I've been a part of this faith family for about a year and a half. Uh, my wife and I, she's the one in the really cute hat. It's got like a little thing. Um, we've been, we, we work in college ministry, and we moved to the neighborhood a year and a half ago. Um, we, we work in downtown Brooklyn, and uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't know about Long Island City at all. We're from uh, the Midwest, from Omaha, Nebraska. We didn't know about Long Island City, and so we Googled it, and uh, we Googled this church, and we showed up, and we were like, yeah, we're not going anywhere else. This, that was it, and we've been coming here ever since, and so right, right away, I felt a part of the family. Like, he, we talk about it being a faith family. This feels like a family. I've got Thanksgiving meal tonight with, uh, with my family here at, at the church. Like, I've got, I've got a family here. It's pretty pretty amazing. So um, that's a little bit about me. Like Patrick said, uh, I'll be continuing the series Ordinary Day about, uh, it, it's kind of the story of, of w- when a day that you think is ordinary becomes extraordinary. And when, it, when it, you, you wake up, you're not really expecting something special to happen, but something collides with you in a way that you might not have been expecting, and it creates something extraordinary in you an extraordinary change. And so uh, we'll be looking at an ordinary day today. But before I get too far, I I wanted to open with one of my favorite passages of scripture, um, Isaiah 55, one through three. It's been something that I've been actually memorizing uh, myself. And, And this is an invitation from God. It says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. I love this passage because it's so invitational by God. Come. Come to me. Incline your ear. Come to me and, and hear, right? Listen to me. And eat food. Do you, you see the escalation of the things that he's offering? Water, right? Water is a necessity. We all need water. Water provides us life. We all need bread, right? So you, you might, you, your thirst might be satisfied, but then you're like, oh, I'm hungry. He provides bread. And then he, he says, I'll give you even more than you need. Wine and milk, those, those, are, those are things of excess, right? Things that are sweet, that are, have flavor. And God is offering it to us in, in a spiritual soul-level satisfying way, right? And this invitation is amazing. And, and when I hear it, I'm like, ooh, I want that. I, 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 don't ha- I don't feel like I have a lot of money. I don't feel like I have that. But whenever there's an invitation, there's, there's always the, the easy opt-out. We can always hear that invitation and go, oh, he's, he's, he's offering us so much. But, I, you know, this week I'm really busy. <laughs> this week I don't, I don't know if I have the time. And then he, he hits us with that question that just, that challenges the very core of me. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Right? Why do you spend your money and your resources for things that don't satisfy you? I don't know if, that, if you feel this. I spend, I spend my, a lot of money on food and entertainment, right? I've got like three streaming services in my life right now. Do those satisfy me? Is that my bread? Is that what fills me? Right? Why do you spend your labor on that which does not satisfy? I, we, I work so hard so that people like me. But does that really satisfy me? Because I'm always meeting new people. It's always another chance for them not to like me. I always got another interaction. 
right? Or, or career or success. And the question that, that hits us, that, that makes the invitation so much more important, is where do I find my satisfaction? Where do I find my satisfaction? There's, there's four things that, that Patrick and New City, we, we talk about a lot, is pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And, we, and where we find our satisfaction is related to these things, right? Do we, do we find satisfaction in the pleasures of the world and experiences, right? In, in getting as much travel as we, in, as, as we can in, in our lives and in, in getting the best of New York. Is that where I find my satisfaction is in experiences? Do I find it in peace, right? In, in, in making my own little peace, my own little world where, where no one else can come in, right? I get my friends, my people, my stuff, and nothing else come in. Is, is that where I find my satisfaction? Do I find meaning in vocation, right? My work, in, in, in my job, is my job and what I do for the next however many years I'm on this planet, is that going to give me satisfaction? Right? Hope. Some of us want to leave a legacy, something that lasts well beyond us, right? But if there's eternity, how much longer behind us, right? How long? Is that, is that hope really enough? Is that where I find my satisfaction? And we're going to look today at what satisfaction is and where we can find it. We're going to go at this idea of satisfaction because I don't know about you, but, but that, that question challenges me. I do spend my money for that which is not bread and my labor for that which does not satisfy. So where do we find it? Where do we find satisfaction? We're going to go to the book of, of Luke this morning. And uh, I, this week, uh, because I uh, wanted to procrastinate but also do something fun, I read all of Luke and Acts um, Luke and Acts are basically part one and part two from Luke to a guy named Theophilus. It's actually, you, you can read it as one story, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's cinematic. It should be made into like four different miniseries. It's so cool. It starts off with like this, this, this side character. You're not really sure who he is, but his name is John the Baptist, and he was promised that he was going to uh, herald the Messiah, and then it, it starts with, with this religion, and, and, it, and it grows that in this little sect of, of Israel, uh, like a f- basically Nebraska, uh, where I'm from, uh, this, little, this little unknown herd of place, and you've got this Messiah that comes, and he does these amazing miracles. Amazing. He heals people. He raises people from the dead. He heals someone that he's not even in the same room with that's across town. He's like, oh, I, that person? Yeah, they're healed. You can go check on them. He uh, walks on water. He turns five loaves of bread into probably like 50,000 loaves of bread. He does amazing, miraculous things. And then he enables his followers to do those things. They start to, to heal people and to cast out demons. And this guy starts getting this, this reputation as maybe as the Messiah. And then he actually is perfectly innocent and, and, and he dies. He dies on, 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 a, on a cross. But the story picks up after that because he raises from the dead. And then he's like, you people, you're going to do it. And then Acts is this amazing, amazing story of these normal people, these ordinary people who do extraordinary things, heal people, raise them from the dead. You watch a movement go from Nebraska essentially to the world. The book ends, Acts ends with, with Paul reaching the, the heart of, of the world, Rome. Amazing, amazing stories in Luke and Acts. And today we're going to talk about a dinner party. <laughs> I'm getting excited, right? Feeling the goosies, right? Like all these amazing stories and a dinner party. But wait, there's sibling rivalry. Some of like our favorite thing to talk about, right? And a fairly normal, ordinary interaction. 
that actually the, these few verses have profoundly affected the way we think about God. And we see his heart in a profound way at a dinner party. Isn't that like Jesus, right? He can, be, he can walk across water being shown as glorious, tra- transformed form, raised from the dead. But sometimes it's these little interactions, even in our own lives, little, little pastors are like, ooh, that changes the way I think about you. And he can turn a dinner party into something extraordinary. So we're going to be in Luke uh, 10, 38 through 42. All of you uh, turn there. It'll be on, on the screen as well. Let me pray. And we're going to talk about eternal satisfaction from this dinner party where we find eternal satisfaction. Jesus, thank you so much for how you work. And uh, yeah, God, that you are, you are astounding. You do mighty, mighty things. And yet you're also in the details you care about our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You care, God, about the, the, the little things in our lives. And you, and you care about, yeah, I think about all the people that, that just ask for prayer right now. You care so deeply about those things. Thank you, Jesus. Would you teach us what it looks like to be satisfied in you eternally this morning? Your name, amen. Okay, so here's, here's the passage. Here we go. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So here's the story. This is, this is where we're going to find this profound truth of eternal, <laughs> eternal satisf- satisfaction is from these short verses. So some context for us as we, as we pick apart this, this text. Um, it was a very, very big deal back then to own property. It's a very, very big deal to own property and to have a house. It was an even bigger deal to be a woman and, and have a house that you can welcome people into. This, w- this was very, very significant. Martha had a home that she could welcome them into. They could come and she could host. So you can, as, even as you, as you feel that, as maybe some of you have hosted before, you kind of feel the pressure of the host already, right? I have this, Martha has a great deal of pressure on her and everyone's watching. Like this is a person who has a home and she's welcoming a rabbi into her home, right? I wonder how good of a host she is. And the rabbi will tell us. We'll find out. So she's feeling the pressure. She's feeling the heat. On top of that, so that she, it's a very big deal. She has a home. Two is that uh, at this time, and, and Jesus, all, especially in Luke, is always breaking some of these social norms. Women were not supposed to be sitting listening to a rabbi. That was actually, everybody knew that. It was so common that everybody knew that Mary should not be sitting. In fact, she should, if she's a part of the hosting family, she should always be working and never be sitting. But where's Mary? Plop down right in front of Jesus, right? And so you can feel Martha already has now, she's got the pressure of, of hosting, and on top of that, she's, she's short-staffed via a sister that probably is like this a lot, right? Like, I knew Mary was going to do this. Are you kidding me? She's sitting at the Lord's feet. This was a very, very big deal for her to, to sit. And so Martha's feeling this pressure, right? The third thing to notice that, that I, I skip over a lot is that um, it's, it's in the middle of the teaching that Martha actually interrupts 
and says this to her. So Martha is so mad that she's willing to embarrass herself because it was so obviously wrong, right? And, and another thing I love about this passage, it's, it's really fun to note um, in, in the scriptures, whenever someone addresses Jesus by a certain name and see if they treat them according to the merit of that name. So she calls him Lord, right? She says Lord, which means Lord, Lord right? Like king, uh, ruler, someone that, that we follow their orders. And what does Martha do? She orders Lord, she doesn't really mean Lord. <laughs> or she has an interesting version of Lord in her mind. Like, Lord works for me. So we've got an interesting interaction where Mar- Mary is not doing the right thing and Martha is mad. And we see her emotions and her emotions actually are going to begin to explain for us. Some, it, it's, a, it's a great mirror of, of my own heart and my own emotions. So what does she say to Jesus? We're going to look at and see what, what she says. She, she says, do you not care? Her first emotion, right, is unseen. She feels unseen. Mary has been sitting at your feet for a while, Jesus, and you haven't said anything yet? Do you, do you not care about me? Do you not see me? Am I forgotten? Has anyone else felt that at times? Do you not care? Do you not see? I'm right here, right? That like famous funny thing where someone's talking about you in your room, you're like, in the room, you know, like, you don't, uh, Jared's here, I'm talking to the third person, like, like, like you're saying that I'm not here, I'm right here. We have the, and sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's really not. Especially when it comes to serving, to, to working, to our reputation, right? We work so hard on our reputation and sometimes our boss honor someone else. And we're like, do you not care? I did a majority of that project. I did, I did a majority of it. I sacrificed time at home with my family for this. Do you not care? Right? We feel unseen. And being unseen leads to a couple of things. It leads to either shame or anger, usually. Shame being, is there something wrong with me? There is something wrong with me, actually, shame. is it's something wrong with me. Something inherently about me leads people to forget me, to not see me, right? And that's kind of an internal, anxious, d- and, and, and uh, you know, emotional distraughtness. The other emotion that it might lead us to is anger. Martha goes this route, to anger, to bitterness and cynicism, lashing out, right? If you feel unseen, sometimes you, you might just say something rudely or, or abruptly, like, hey guys, I'm over here. Like, I did all the work, right? You ever been in that, that, that room when someone's like presenting on something and someone like makes it all about them? It's probably because they're feeling unseen and they're lashing out and maybe anger and bitterness, right? There, there's a bitter taste to what Martha is saying, a bitterness. Do you not care, right? Implying you should have. And I'm bitter about that. So Martha first feels unseen. And second, if you take out the word serve, what does she say? She says, Mary has left me to serve. To Mary has left me alone. Alone. Unseen and alone. That's how Martha feels. I am alone. Where are my friends? I wonder how different it might have been if Mary was hopping in and out. Or, ev- or even there's another person in the story that I wish I would have known where he was, Lazarus. And we'll talk about Lazarus later. He was their sibling. But, but Martha felt alone. And when you're lonely, it's hard to see the world in any other light than your loneliness. It's hard to, it's, it's, it, 
you view it like I, I'm alone. I'm, it's almost like I'm a martyr. Where, where are my friends? Where's my family? Why am I alone in this? And it leads to both shame and anger. And really, uh, being unseen and forgotten and alone work as in a vicious cycle, right? You can see how these play into each other pretty easily. I'm forgotten, therefore I'm alone, and I'm forgotten, and therefore I'm alone. And, and we either act out, you know, we, we act in shame or we act in anger. And Martha goes the anger route here. And that's why she has such biting uh, words for Jesus, right? Lord, you're like, oh, that's a good start. Do you not care? Do you not care? And that's Martha's emotions. Now, if you're, if you're watching this, uh, you know, I, I wonder what everyone else is thinking. I always, I always have the picture of, like, the other people in the story. You know, and they're like, oh, this is so awkward. They, like, turn to each other, like, Martha, like, that's, w- it, it, by the way, the, the context would be, like, if my wife right now walked up to me and said, like, hey, did you, do you care that there's, like, no one up in, in children? That's, that's the same context. Jesus is teaching. He's in the middle of a sermon. And so it's, it's highly awkward. You should feel awkward. It, this, this is uncomfortable. And they're like, oh, Martha, you really shouldn't have. But like, I mean, you got a point. Like, it is weird. Like, I was thinking it too. Mary, like, what are you doing? You know, and Mary's like, oh, sister, why? You know, like, like, why you put me on blast? I thought I snuck in and no one saw me. You know, like everyone is now drawn to this. And Jesus' response, uh, as usual, is mastery. It's beautiful. He could have escalated any one of those tensions. He could have escalated the fact that Mary shouldn't be there. He could have been like, yeah, you know what, you're right. You, should, you shouldn't be here, you should go. And then Mary would have left and Mary and Martha would have had a little fight. He could have uh, said like, actually, this is the new rule. This is the new rule that the women can sit and, and listen, which like he kind of is saying implicitly, but he doesn't, right? So now everyone's like, what is the rule? We all want to know the rule. What's the rule? Like, what, what's going on? But Jesus dispels all of it. And what he does is he, he ide- so you've got Martha's emotions, her feelings, and Jesus goes right at her state of being, who she is, what's going on inside. And what, he, what does he say? You are anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious. Jesus identifies her anxiety. And anxiety's core question is very similar to shame, is am I enough? Am I enough? We get anxious because we don't think that we are sufficient to meet the task. I'm not enough to handle whatever's coming. I'm going to do my very best then, I, either way, right? Either way, I'm going to just kind of give up. Or I'm going to, to plan like crazy. I can't sleep. I was talking to, to a student uh, not long ago. I work in college ministry, right? I was talking to a student a while ago, and we were going through a schedule because he felt so overwhelmed. And we worked it out, actually, to where he had a whole day off. And he could still get his homework and his studying done. And I was like, isn't this great? Don't you, don't you feel like you could do this? And he said, actually, no. Like, I'd just be terrified that that whole day, that there'd be something that I'm missing. Isn't that anxiety? We can't even rest. And Jesus says, this is you, Martha. You are this. You are anxious. You are wondering, am I enough, Right? And, and anxiety just kind of leads you to this. It's like a self-proving proof where you start off and you're like, it, there's going to be a disaster. And so you panic, you panic, you panic, you panic. And maybe most things go right until there's a dis- disaster and you go, see, I told you it's going to be a disaster. Right? 
It's panic until disaster, but there, sometimes things are out of our control. In fact, all the time, <laughs> things are out of our control. But it's like this self-proving state of being that Martha is in. Am I enough? Do they see me as a good host? Do they see me as worthy of having a house, of welcoming this rabbi? Does Jesus see me as this? Am I enough? He then identifies for her, the, the second uh, state of being is troubled. And troubled is, is like, like usual, English isn't a, like the best way to interpret things. Troubled actually kind of more interprets into like a turbulent confusion. Turbulence, violence. In fact, it's, it's like the word is closely related to, to, to riot. And he's saying there's, there's a riot in your head, right? And, and it, maybe you, you might identify with this. There, there was a period of my life, and, and Jesus is changing me. I'm not out, so I'm still in it. But um, where there's like these great men that I want to be like, and these great goals and dreams that I have. And every time I walk into a room, this riot in my head is shouting, be like Gavin, be like John, be like Patrick, do better that way, do better this way, right? And it's like a riot. There's all these voices at once. I don't know if you, maybe I'm sounding like a crazy person now, but I don't know if you ever feel that. All the musts, right? Like you sit down to do work and maybe you've got three or four things to work on at once and you can't pick because you're like, every single one of them is urgent and important and live or die. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And you've got all these musts and there's this turbulent, there's a violence inside of us, a violence that leads us to losing something. Whenever there's violence, there's always a loser. And it's usually our hope and our faith. When we listen to these voices for too long, we get exhausted. And it's out of her, her anxious being and her troubled being that Martha responds to Jesus in these emotions, right? It's out of those that she's now seeing herself as alone, Right? How, how different might it have been if she had the clarity of mind to be like, hey, Jesus, I, I'm so glad that Mary's sitting. I need some help. Can someone give me some help? Like a, f- a while ago, you fed people with like magic and, and I, I could really use some magic, <laughs> like just some finger sandwiches or a charcuterie board or something, like anything. I'm exhausted, right? But it, it actually, her being forces this, this vicious cycle of being alone, being unseen, and all these voices in her head that are leading her to this way. And I feel this too. And these states of being obviously influence all of those, those things that we talked about before, like pleasure, right? You've got to get the most out of life. Well, there's like a thousand things to do in New York. So th- there's, th- there's a billion vocations you could have, right? A billion different experiences. So which one do you pick? I don't know. I, I'm too overwhelmed. I'm just going to sit at home and watch Netflix. What am I, I going to do with, with my job? I'm watching college students do this, right? And, and now high school students, earlier and earlier, there's the, the troubled and anxious middle schooler that is trying to decide the rest of their life at 13. Working for college scholarships when they don't even, they're not even fully grown as a human. Their brain isn't done developing. And we're putting this pressure on them. Oh my gosh, these states of being are terrible and are ruining our pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. So Jesus identifies her state of being, and then what's the cure? He gives a cure. Luckily, he doesn't just say, like, hey, you're anxious and troubled. Uh, Stop it. Quit it. He says, but Mary has chosen the good portion. And at that point, you, 
you can almost feel the gasps in the men in the room. Like, you're actually, like, you're praising Mary? Like, you're actually honoring Mary now for sitting here? And Jesus is identifying something in Mary that she's not just sitting. She is satisfied in something. You see, Mary also embarrassed herself. She embarrassed herself, and she was willing to. She was willing to be embarrassed because she had to be with Jesus. She's willing to do that. And, and everyone's like, you shouldn't have, but Jesus said it anyway. Mary chose the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What is the good portion? What does it mean for a good portion? And this is why I read Isaiah 55 earlier on, because it's actually a, a really accurate description. Bread, what does bread do? Water, what does water do? Water satisfies your thirsts, right? If Jesus is the good portion of water, we won't get thirsty. And when you're thirsty, you can't think about anything else, right? You're like, I gotta get water. Right now, this instant, I gotta stop in the middle of my sermon and get water. When you're hungry, you get crabby, right? You get irritable. It's hard to think clearly. You, you, you actually start to, to feel pain in your body. The good portion is bread. Jesus says he's bread. He also says he's, he's the rivers of living water, John 7, John 6. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never go hungry again. He's offering satisfaction. And the way that it's, that it's uh, phrased in Isaiah 55, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Eating what is good for your soul is listening to Jesus. I, I'm a philosophy major. I'm okay with that ambiguity. But some of, us, uh, some of us might be engineers or like STEM people in this room. You're like, I don't get that. When, 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 we, when we listen to Jesus we li- and we incline our ear, right? Though those are relational words. Inclining our ear, I might have explained this before. Some, some people might have heard this a thousand times. But inclining your ear, it isn't just like turning your ear. It's, it's moving so that you're, there is no barrier between the speaker and your ear. I think of like my grandpa who can't hear and will get up across the room. Like he has enough care to get up across the room and, and, and lower in and, and listen to you. And then he'll walk back to the chair. We'll say some more stuff. He'll say what? And then he'll, we'll repeat this process all day long. But he cares enough to get up every time because he loves you. Relationally listening to Jesus and how is he the good portion? What, it, what is it about this relationship that provides the good portion. So we're going we're gonna to look at, at how it's um, eternally, eternally satisfying, right? Eternally satisfying. And at, at the latter end of that, Isaiah 55, he says, I will make with you a covenant, my steadfast sure love for David. Now, we don't, we don't need to talk about David a whole lot, but basically God's saying, I'm, I'm going to make the covenant with you, and my love is steadfast and sure. It won't leave you. It won't forsake you. And this changes the way that we experience our emotions, Right? This eternal satisfaction, this good portion, actually cures all of the things that were before. If you're feeling unseen, Jesus sees you. He knows who you are. He made you exactly how he wanted to make you. He sees you. He knows who you are. He sees you enough and sees you enough in your pain that he decided to die on a cross for you. To be put to death for you. He had you in mind when he died on the cross. He sees you. He sees you. If you're feeling alone, Jesus also says that he's gonna 
because of of his death and resurrection, he's actually gonna give us his Holy Spirit. He's gonna be with us forever. There's amazing promises in scripture. Matthew 28 is one of them. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Psalm 139 describes this beautiful picture where David's like, no matter where I go, you're following me. Right? It, it's, not, it's almost like we, we don't have the choice. He's there. I don't get to like, all right, Jesus, I'm about to step into this room. Can you wait in the foyer? And I'm going to go in this room. He's like, ah, sorry, it's not how that works. I'm a seal upon you. I'm with you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm always there. No matter how alone or unseen you're feeling, we know the steadfast, sure love of Jesus is right there in his person. In, and he's inviting us. Talk to me. Listen to me. It's a relational conversation. He's there. Your states of being. Are you anxious? Are you wondering if you're enough? Am I enough? Can I handle this? Jesus put the highest price tag in the universe on you when he died for you. His blood is the most precious resource, the, the most precious thing in the, in the history of, of ever. And that's what he spent on you. That's the value of your life. You are eternally valuable. You are enough. You are enough. Not because of the job you're going to have or the legacy you're going to leave or whatever else, because Jesus loved you to die for you. That's why you're enough. And that will never change. You don't need to be anxious. You are enough in Jesus. Are you troubled? Do you feel turbulent inside of you? I've, I've torn. Which way do I go? What do I do here? What do I, I love Isaiah 55 because he's, he's steadfast, sure, and he wants a relationship. Just listen. You've got all these voices, all these, all these people saying, you gotta be better, you gotta do this. Just listen to your Jesus and what he says about you. He says, I love you. I died for you. You're mine. I'll never leave you. Yeah, you just had a huge failure. But I knew about that before I died for you. I still love you. I'm still here. Take time to practice listening. Listen to Jesus. The question that's funny about this story is that it just kind of ends here. And you're like, did it take? Did it work? Did, how, how is Martha in the future? You know, like how, how's the story turn out? And I'm not, I was going to go there uh, in, in much greater detail, but uh, spoilers, it works. Later, uh, in, in, in John 11, uh, her brother, she has, a very unex- she has a very extraordinary week. Her brother died. Her, her brother had died, and Jesus knew he was sick and was somewhere else, and her brother died. And again, the pressure and anxiety is building in her, right? Of like, it was my job to take care of him. Is it my fault he died? like, could I have done more? And Jesus shows up and she says, if she starts with her feelings and, and, and this state of, all, like tempting the state of being, right? Like, if you were here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And then Mar- Martha shows her transformation in the middle of her grief, this beautiful redemption. Martha is actually the first person. Once again, God just break it all social norms. Martha, a woman, was the first one to confirm that Jesus was going to be rese- resurrected. She might have actually been the only one before he actually resurrected. His apostles didn't even believe it. But she was like, you're right. You are the resurrection and the life. 
and I know that my brother will rise up on the last day. Jesus then rises him up physically (laughs) about an hour later in a beautiful, beautiful example of his power over death. But he meets her, right, relationally, and, and Mary chose eternal satisfaction. And there's a beautiful simplicity to the love of Jesus, right? But an amazing profundity. Yes, it's simple. He loves me, but it it affects every area of my life. If I am loved by God, despite all of my flaws and failures, he loves me and he's pursuing me, it changes everything. And he even says to Mary, this cannot be taken away. I can't even take it away. I can't screw up big enough for Jesus to be like, oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. I take my love back. That isn't possible. And so no matter what we're facing with our job, with our, with our family, with, with feelings of, I, I'm, un, I'm in unrest. I'm not getting pleasure out of life. I, I don't know what my meaning is. Find it in Jesus because you will forever. It's eternal. It's the good portion. It's filling. It's bread. It's water. It's wine. It's milk. It's steadfast, sure love. Find this in Jesus. And so the question again is, coming back to it, where do I find my satisfaction? Where do I find my satisfaction? Is it in the simplicity of, of my Savior's love for me? Or am I troubled and listening to too many voices? Or am I anxious, worried that I'm not enough? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to reflect on this. Where do I find my satisfaction? If you have a, a journal, I find it helpful to, to just write out something. Um, and just remember... you know, maybe mark down the day like this, I actually thought about what I look to for my eternal satisfaction. Think about this for about 30 seconds to a minute, and then I'm going to invite the band up to to sing a song. So we're about to sing a song of invitation, of God inviting us into a, a relationship with him, ongoing. And it's a beautiful reflection of, of the invitation that we see in Isaiah 55, and the invitation of Jesus, both Mary and Martha, to choose the good portion and I love the, the, the verse we read at the beginning. Pour out, at, at all times, pour your heart out to him. God loves when you talk to him. And no thought is too small. No worry is too small. Pour out your heart. Take his, take his invitation. Talk. And then also listen. Listen to his goodness as well. Uh, this week, I, I, I pray and hope that you will listen. Let, let me pray and then we'll start singing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your invitation. Thanks for where we can find satisfaction that we are loved by you. You are enough. No matter how well I do at my job, um, how well I do relationally, or how, how I talk to people or friends or, or whatever, God, whatever failure I'm currently facing, um, thinking about some hurtful things I, I said this week, God, and, and things I need to apologize for, you, you, you love me and you're, and you're actually guiding me to move towards those people. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for your invitation. We, we want to we accept it and we want to find our satisfaction, our filling in you.